mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep. We thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. (laughs) We don't. But you know what? We're going to sit down with someone today who's got a lot figured out. You guys, we are sitting down with a phenomenal guest. We have Mina Harris on today. Mina is a powerful dynamic leader and an influential voice for equality. She is an advisor on diversity and inclusion. She's also an attorney with extensive experience in consumer protection, data privacy, and cybersecurity. On June 2nd, 2020, Mina released her first children's book titled Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, which is based on a true story from the childhood of Mina's aunt and mother. She's been featured in the New York Times, Adweek, Elle, and more. She is a graduate of Stanford University and Harvard Law School and is hell-bent on empowering future generations of women to make their mark, including her two lovely daughters. And you know what, guys? We actually talked with her for basically almost over an hour. So we don't want to waste your time. We want to jump right into this conversation. Without further ado, here is the phenomenal 
Mina Harris. And you guys, we are here with Mina Harris. Mina, we are so excited to have you. Um, and we owe you a huge congratulations on your new book, uh, Kamala and Maya's oh, Big you. Idea. It's um, came out June 2nd and it's already it, it immediately sold out everywhere. Right. It did. Yeah. I, when you were like, you owe me congratulations. I was like, about what? What did I do? <laughs> it's just been like nonstop. I'm, this is probably the first kind of like break I've gotten in the last two weeks. But yeah, it came out um, almost two weeks ago on June 2nd. And it was just wild. I'm a first time author. Uh, you know, never thought I would be an author. So we like calling myself that is crazy. Like getting to see people finally hold the book and read the book and, and hear their reactions to it was just one of the most special things in the world. So I'm still on a high. That's great. I feel like it's only now just being restocked. Candace and I have both ordered it and it's on its way, but it's not here yet because it sold out so quickly. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Now, it's like you don't get that immediate gratification. Totally. Not yet, but it's coming. Um, it's based on a true story. And mm -hmm. it's about your mom and aunt. Will you share with us, since we don't have the book yet, what uh, the premise is? Yeah, so it's about two sisters named Kamala and Maya. It's based on uh, the childhood of my mom, Maya Harris, and Aunt Kamala Harris, as you said. And it's about two sisters who see a problem in their community. They see an issue and they decide that they want to solve it and that they want to figure out how to make positive change in their community. Um, and their community is, is literally their backyard. It's something that I talk about a lot with my women's brand that just starts somewhere, starts somewhere small, right? And so this is such a great example of it's in their apartment complex courtyard. Um, I don't want to give away too much of it, especially <laughs> since your books are coming soon. But um, it's really about, you know, community, leaning on your community, the power of community, uh, as well as persevering in the face of adults, you know, telling them no, that they're too young, they're too small, it's too expensive, it can't be done. And they figure it out. And they figure it out by, you know, coming together, uh, leaning on each other and bringing their community together. And, and the main message of it is really that no one can do everything, but everyone can do something, right? All of us have a role to play. Each of us can do something, can make a contribution. And uh, as you mentioned, it, it, it sold out really quickly. And obviously, I could have never imagined releasing my first book, my debut children's book in the middle of a pandemic and <laughs> mass civil unrest. Um, and I like actually hesitated to even talk about it on launch day because it was still, um, I mean, I, I don't want to say still, I mean, we're still in this, right? But, you know, two weeks ago, it was really when things were... Um, heating up in a good way. And I didn't want to distract or, you know, talk about something that was like not sort of the immediate thing that all of us I thought need to be paying attention to. But what I started to realize um, in talking to other folks and seeing their reactions is that in many ways, it feels like it couldn't be more needed in this moment, right? And it feels like it kind of met the moment in that it's, it's what we're seeing, right? Use your voice, speak up, do anything. Uh, and that each of us can can do something. And when we do, when all of us, you know, takes that that step, no matter how small, when it adds up to thousands of people or millions of people marching and protesting, it's pretty impactful, right? It's a big, it's a big impact. Is that what, how you grew up? Were you grow, did you grow up as an activist surrounded by activists? I mean, obviously, I know your mother and your aunt are lawyers and, you know, we know of them. Mm -hmm today but is this was this prevalent when you were a kid as well absolutely although it's funny to hear you use the term activist and somebody just asked me about this um as well and I was thinking back sort of to my 
childhood. And no, we didn't use the word activist. Uh, I think it was really in many ways sort of just like what you do, right? Um, and there wasn't a title. And rather, the titles and the people that I saw and looked up to and who were talked about in terms of, you know, what they were doing were lawyers, right? They were lawyers, they were academics, they were, um, you know, elected officials, local elected officials. And so those are the people that I revered. And, you know, Kamala actually talks about this all the time that, you know, for her growing up in the 60s, those were the heroes, right? Um, who were really um, a part of, uh, of the movement. And, and we that's still the case today, right? It's, it's academics, it's poets, it's artists. So um, I didn't have that language around, you know, being an activist, but it was something that every single day, right? My grandmother, mom, and aunt, and I grew up in a very unique situation where it was like just these three powerful, incredible women who were doing awesome stuff in the world. But my grandmother in particular was the one who, you know, really emphasized that not only can I do anything, but it's my responsibility and that it's my duty, right? Um, the, the, I think it's actually a proverb, but to whom much is given, much is required, right? Any ounce of privilege that I had, whether it was education, um, or access to, you know, some institution or system that others didn't. It was my responsibility to figure out how to bring them along. It was my responsibility to fight for them, to, um, you know, represent them in those rooms and figure out how to, you know, dismantle those, um, you know, power structures that were uh, leaving folks out. And I know that sounds like lofty, right? Um, and the whole message is about we can do anything, but that's the point, right? In my, my work in, in tech, if I'm sitting in a a room and I'm the only woman or I'm the only person of color in that room, like I'm representing everyone, right? And I have to uh, figure out how I can be uh, my own, you know, change agent to make sure that I'm not the only one in that room next time. So it was really about, you know, less, less about sort of the status and the title, but um, really about that duty and responsibility. And it was just around me constantly. Um, not only, you know, hearing the stories of my grandmother and the civil rights movement and then my mom and aunt as kids and the work that they were doing, which of course is part of what the book is about. But even when I was younger, I mean, my my whole sort of extended family um, in, in the United States was all of these folks that were in the civil rights movement with my grandmother, all of my aunties and uncles, right? So it was sort of just this kind of constant conversation and, um, you know, real value system that I was uh, exposed to very early on. That's incredible. I love how it's, it's not... You didn't even need a word for it. You just, um, it was not a choice. You just did it. Um, totally. That's amazing. Um, we really want to talk to you about the the lack of representation of color in literature. And I know that's, I've heard you discuss, that's why you wanted to write this book. Um, I want to make sure I get the statistics right, because for our listeners, they are staggering when you hear them read aloud. 50% of lead characters in children books, children's books are white. 27% are animals with human characteristics, 10% black, 7% Asian, 5% Latinx, and 1% Native American. What has your experience been like raising your daughters and shopping for books for them and trying to find something that they can relate to given those numbers? Yeah, I'll add a number. I think it may be pulled from the same um, place. I think it's the University of Wisconsin um, in 2018 did some research and released data that said in 2018, there were more children's books that had animals as main characters than Black, Latinx, Asian, and Indigenous characters combined. 
combined. <laughs> um, and I think it's something like 50% of all children's books were, I believe, white male characters. So yeah, we have, you know, this was only two years ago. And I want to first make the point that we have made incredible progress. I'm, I'm super proud to be a part of sort of this, you know, new wave of uh, diversity and championing diversity in, in kids lit along with folks like Matthew Cherry, who wrote Hair Love, or, you know, The Proudest Blue by Ibtihaj Muhammad. Um, I don't need to, I don't need to run down the list. There's lots of lists circulating right now because people are finally paying attention. Um, but what's interesting is like all of us were of course talking about this long before folks were paying attention. Right. And now thankfully they are, but you know, to answer your question, um, it's one of the reasons I wrote the book, which is becoming a new mom. My now older daughter who just turned four yesterday. Oh, oh happy birthday. Congrats. <laughs> I know, happy She's like, literal birthday oh to you. Oh, yeah, I say an extra my literal birth, birth. My birthing day. Yeah, <laughs> Your exactly. birthing day. Oh, God. It's like it's like having another grown adult living in my house at this point. Like, she's so, like, old. And, oh, my God, it's so much. Um, But, you know, when she was, when I was a new mom and I was, you know, we were looking for children's books to read her. Of course, we were reading all of the classics, like, you know, Good Night, Good Night Moon and Where the Wild Things Are and Brown Bear and, you know, all the, you know, titles. And, they're great. They're really wonderful pieces of art and, you know, children's literature. But at a certain point, I'm like, where are the women? Where are the black girls that look like my daughter, right? Where's the brown skin and the curly hair? And we would start like, you know, coloring the skin in brown with a marker, um, often, often changing the pronouns from he to she to they. Uh, I mean, it's just, if you take that perspective and go back and read these books. I mean, it is stunning, right? It is the default is male. The default is usually white male. Um, and so for me, you know, this coincided with seeing how she was beginning, even at the young age of two, right? Three, you know, and, and, and talking about her hair texture, noticing that, you know, it was different than mine, right? That it was curly and um, seeing her eyes light up when she saw uh, the character, Miss Helena on Daniel Tiger, who's a little black child with Afro puffs, the way that we did her hair. And she said, I love her hair, right? Representation matters so much for kids, especially in young children who, you know, they're learning for, they're learning about the world um, through children's books, you know, for the first time. It's sort of before you go to preschool, it's through your, your parents and your family and, and through books. And um, she just wasn't on the pages, right? Uh, I didn't see many characters that look like her and, and my other daughter. And so part of it was like, all right, I'm gonna write the damn book myself. <laughs> I'm not like seeing what I want, you know? Uh, and so that was a huge inspiration for it. And as I said, you know, we've made a ton of progress, but we still have such a long way to go. And that includes, you know, black children, black girls who are central main characters who are the protagonists of these books. They're not the silent supporting characters. They're not part of the cast of characters. I mean, I've seen even in the last couple of weeks, books have come out that are they're trying and it's coming from a good place. But the, the narrator, the person who is speaking, whose voice we were listening to, the person who holds power and telling the story is still a white blonde child, right? And my point is not, you know, and I think I, the other important point that I think we're all understanding in this moment, or lots of folks are finally understanding, is that this book is not just about representation for my black daughters, right? It's not just for black children. I would argue that 
perhaps it's even more important for white children, for boys, right? We know how early this stuff starts in terms of the messages that we're sending to our children about whose voice matters, who's in charge, who's the leader, who's the default, right? Um, and I've become really um, interested in, in following this as it relates to, you know, how we treat women and specifically sexual harassment. And there's this uh, um, academic, uh, Tahir Duckett, who has done a lot of research around just these social and cultural norms that we start to um, influence our, our boys with early on and how harmful they are later in life and, you know, can predict if, if a man is more likely to, you know, not respect and harass women. Um, and so it's about, you know, if we're going to talk about women's equality, we have to start with girls' equality and we have to understand that it starts with our children and, a lot of this is really like basic building blocks of empathy and compassion and, you know, um, embracing differences first and seeing people who are different as, as equal and worthy and interesting, right? And, and being curious about the world and people that are outside of your own family and your own neighborhood and your own bubble. And so it's cool to see that people are waking up, but I, I really hope they, they stick with it. Yes. We agree. Um, it must have been feel it must have felt so wonderful to read the book to your daughters for the first time when you got your first copy. Is this when you initially became a mother? Did were you were you thinking these conversations that you were going to have? Or is this something you've kind of discovered along the way? You know, I think well, I mean, the second inspiration for the book, um, frankly, which was like the first the my number one inspiration, um, in addition to the diversity issue was passing on all of the values that I was raised with, right? And becoming a new mom and thinking and kind of like stressing out about like, okay, my grandma and my mom and my aunt, like the way that they raised me was so formative for me and so important to me. But my circumstances are different, right? I was sort of like a super only child. I had a single mom. My grandma was a single mom. Like it was very unique circumstances. Mm -hmm. But appreciating how impactful that was for me, thinking about, okay, how do I recreate that? How, how do I emulate that? How do I pass this on to my own children, even though our circumstances are different, right? We have a lot more privileges. We have a two-parent household. Um, and so that was sort of one of the initial inspirations was how do I how do I teach them this stuff, right? And so it was more about passing on the values around, you know, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something, uh, teaching them that they should use their voices, that they were worthy, that they, you know, are powerful and strong and should speak out. So that was sort of the inspiration more than it was about, um, you know, trying to like preemptively give myself a tool to like talk to my kids about racism, right? So it was starting from more, I guess, of an aspirational place um, and wanting to make sure that they saw themselves represented in a powerful way. But, you know, now that I've uh, now now going through the process and learning more about the industry and learning more about, you know, these issues that are not just what I noticed, but are clearly a systemic issue in the publishing industry. Um, I absolutely think that it's a tool, you know, um, with which we can do that educating and, and, and have those conversations. And I think What's interesting about mine in particular um, is that it's not like clinical and this, it's not like a, a guide to talking to your kids about racism, right? There are, are pieces of literature and, and work out there that are, are about that and they're super important, but this is a little bit different in that it's, it's just more, it's universal, right? And so you can really take some of the messages around persevering and turning a, nest, a, a no into a yes, uh, you know, and apply it to lots of different contexts, including like problem solving, right? Like challenging your kids to come up with 
big ideas, but then also understanding that there are ways that you can, that you have to, you know, uh, commit to like executing it, right? Like we can talk all day about our big ideas, but like, how are you going to make it happen? Um, so I think there are lots of, I think kind of basic, you know, building blocks that you can use this book in order to, you know, contextualize with what's going on. And that's what I'm doing right now. Right. Um, I, they know what's happening with the protests. They know, you know, generally what's going on in the world. And I'm able to point to that book and say, you know, you can be just like grandma and auntie because that's who they are to them. Right. Um, and, and use your voice. And, you know, it's kind of wild to like point to one of the pictures at the back, which is of my grandmother and my mom and aunt and say, do you know who that is? That's your great grandmother. And she was a protester, right? That's what we do in our family. Um, and, and really use it in that way. So, you know, I'm sure, uh, it'll be really interesting. You know, we're only two weeks into it, like being in the world, but um, to, to continue hearing how parents are, are using it to start these conversations and to, you know, apply it to sort of what's going on around us right now. I'm just smiling ear to ear right now. That's so fantastic. And it's such a great tool to have. Um, we also have a lot of teens that listen and young 20 somethings mm -hmm. that listen to our podcast. Um, how can they teach themselves and how can they continue to get involved um, and truly embody being an activist? Not to like sound like I'm continuously like shamelessly plugging <laughs> my book, but I know <laughs> that like that it's it's seriously like a good reminder and like basic, you know, back to basics for, for adults and teens. It's like it's you know, the age range is four to eight. But I promise you, I swear to God, like it was phenomenal. I've been talking to adult women, right, for the last three and a half years, and I've been saying a lot of the same stuff to them that I like just went and put into a children's book. Um, because a lot of it is these basic values and lessons, right? Start somewhere. It's okay to start small. Just do something, right? Whether it's in your, your community or your school or uh, your place of worship or the neighborhood park, wherever, like just do something. And you, if you start somewhere, you have no idea where that will take you, but you have to, you know, show up and commit to it and, and be persistent, right? That message of being persistent. Um, likewise, I was joking, I, I tweeted about this, there's this wonderful video from Sesame Street that uh, they just released around the meaning of protest, right? It's like Elmo talking to um, Elmo's dad. And I was like, adults need to watch this, right? Like adults could really benefit from watching this. It's like a primer. It's like really breaking it down. But we're in this moment where clearly like that is needed. And people really do need these basic tools to start to sort of really build up a real you know, understanding and education of like how to commit to this in a, in a consistent, continuous way. Right. Um, so that is my message. It's, you know, start somewhere. I think I'd add to that, you know, for folks that are a little bit older is pick one issue. I think we are living in a time where it is like overwhelming. Um, each day there's a new headline. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic. Like people are just trying to survive right now. And you, uh, at the beginning asked about, you know, um, being encouraged to be a quote unquote activist. And I think that too can feel like a lot to people, right? Like you're taking on a lot. And in order to do that, you have to do some big grand, you know, world changing thing. And I, I, I would push back on that and say that, you know, the real impact is in your own sphere of influence. It's starting in, from a place that is, you know, unique to you, that is really, um, you know, underlying your own passion. And so by that, I mean, pick one issue, what, what makes you mad? What makes you I don't know, hopeful, what, you know, gets you out of bed in the morning and saying, you know, like, I cannot sit by, you know, with this, with this problem I'm seeing in the world, I have to do something. 
Um, we saw that with our Phenomenal Mother campaign. It's, I think, one of the best examples of this through uh, my women's brand, which is the campaign was all about raising awareness around the humanitarian crisis at the border and specifically family separation and family detention. And it was, it was celebrating two communities. One, the mothers who were coming to the United States to seek, you know, a better life and risking everything for their children, which I think all of us as mothers can and parents can relate to, that we would move heaven and earth for our, our children. And the other community was all of these mothers in the United States who were doing just what I said, which is that they were like, I cannot sit by. I cannot. This is just shaking me to my core that I have to do something. And tons of regular, ordinary, you know, non-quote-unquote activist folks were just stepping up. Uh, and I think it was really an extraordinary moment um, where, you know, this was an issue that people just could not, you know, as I said, sit by. Um, For our listeners, I'm sure you remember uh, we did a live episode with Elsa Collins, and I know that you're referring to this is about humanity. So just a reminder for you guys um, who listened to that episode, that's what um, we're referring to. Yeah, I mean, Elsa is a great example, right? Elsa is, I mean, I think it's probably more and more becoming her full time for her. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, she's someone who has a personal connection to it uh, and and decided that, you know, she wanted to do something um, significant. And there are other, you know, examples. I think Elsa is, shows extraordinary leadership. She started an entire organization. So she's kind of an example of somebody who really has, you know, really gone out there and like done the thing, right? And is I think a good example for all of us to aspire to. And there's also just so many other people that, you know, that go on the trips, for example, right? Who say, I'm going to dedicate my Saturday. I'm going to dedicate my weekend to this. That's huge, right? And showing up physically in person, traveling, you know, to the border to do that work is huge. There's another um, fun story I have where I was co-working um, in, down in LA for the day and I, I ran into someone um, from the organization Families Belong Together, which is another one of our partners that does a ton of work at the border. We weren't even like working together. I just ran into her and it was lovely. And we were sitting there working next to each other. And somebody at the table next to us answered the phone. And it was this woman and she started talking about, okay, yeah, I'm going to get the backpacks and then we're going to collect them. And then we're going to get on the bus and then we're going to, you know, get the shoes and blah, blah, blah. And we looked at each other, me and Lucia, the other woman, and we're like, she, she's clearly doing work at the border. Like, how do we not know her? <laughs> right? Like, who is this person? Um, I wonder what organization she's with. And she hangs up and I'm like, I'm sorry to be awkward, but I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. And, you know, like, who are you? What organization are you with? And she's like, oh, I'm just a screenwriter. Like, I'm just a mom and like a regular person. And I'm just, yeah, I'm collecting backpacks and shoes to donate you know, relief packages to the border. I'm like, this is amazing, right? And she literally was like, I'm, I'm just an ordinary, I'm a screenwriter. I'm like, I work in Hollywood. What are you talking about? So I was like, wow. Um, so I don't know. There's just so many stories like that across so many different issues. And I think it's really about like picking one, leaning all the way into it, right? Showing up, doing it consistently, becoming like a subject matter expert on that issue that the very least that you can do is just like learn the issue inside and out understand what the policy agenda is, what people are, what the, what the actual activists, right, are like fighting for. Um, we're seeing that right now, right, with criminal justice reform and, and having conversations around defund the police, which I know may make some folks feel uneasy, but there are, are, are activists and organizers that have been pushing for this for generations. They are experts at this stuff, right? They know this stuff inside out. They know um, the issue. And those are the folks that you should be listening to. Those are the folks that you should be seeking information from to really deeply understand and engage, right? Before you take action. Um, I think that's a, a critical 
uh, component too, is that you want to make sure that you're being helpful, right? You want to make sure that you're being helpful to these movements and to this work and recognize that, you know, uh, if it's, if it's new to you and you, you're discovering for the first time, doesn't mean that it's a new issue, right? And that there are lots of people who have been doing this work for a very, very long time and have been up against a, a lot of, you know, challenges and are finally starting to see some, you know, progress. Yeah. My husband and I were talking about different things that we were reading and different things we were listening to. And then we both engaged in this conversation of like what we had come to learn about what it means to defund the police. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I had to stop and be like, wait a second, I'm not an expert in this. You're not an expert in this. We didn't even know about this or like understand this idea or thought until like two weeks ago. And this has been going on for years. So I just need to go listen and read and watch some more videos first before I can try to have any statistics that come to mind. And because it is totally you feel this um, pressure to all of a sudden have it all understood because you, Mm -hmm. you know, see these incredible videos or these incredible just graphs on social media. And you're like, how did I not know about this? But I love your point to say, you really need to listen to people who have already been, you know, studying this and who have already been like a full on participant in this movement for a long Mm -hmm. time. No, I was just going to say that's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, one of the interesting things about this moment in particular is that like, this is complex stuff, right? Like we're talking about systems change. We're talking about systemic, you know, generational discrimination and racism and really powerful institutions with really powerful, right, um, uh, interests. And, you know, I think I've seen as well some sentiment that, you know, like, who's the leader? Is there really, is there a leader? Like, who's actually leading this stuff? And it's like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, do you really not think that there are people who have been doing this work and are our leader? I, I won't get into that. I mean, there's so many reasons around, you know, decentralized um, leadership, but it's like, folks are doing focus groups, right? Like, people are doing polling. People are actually deeply researching these issues and have been for generations. Um, so I just co-sign and that it's not, you know, just like the last two weeks. I feel like deep on the police has been, you know, something in the last two to three weeks that people have heard about for the first time. Yeah. Um, when you talk about reading up and, and going back to like the, you know, real like academic research and, and scholarship on this, like I, you know, people need to be reading Angela Davis who wrote our prisons obsolete. I mean, I need to look up the publication date. It's like 20 years ago, right? T- 2003. Okay more than 15 years ago, right? Um, Anyway, the point is, I think there's also, you know, with Twitter and the internet, I think there's also, and you know, uh, this is complex stuff and folks are not experts. So sort of what can I get quickly, right? Like what is that immediate gratification? But I think we really have to take care and understand that this stuff is the work of real movements, right? And, And this is stuff that has happened over decades and generations and we're finally seeing that progress and that likewise for folks who are new to it it takes a lot of time to really engage in a meaningful way and it's probably not going to happen in a week you know by watching some videos and so that's what I mean too about the least you can do is you know show up consistently and and if you really care about this stuff to commit to educating yourself in a deep meaningful way and what that means is like set a Google alert for, right, um, to, to, for defund the police. And you can read up on all of the, right, uh, you know, pieces that are being written about this right now. There's just easy things that we can literally be doing from our living rooms that, uh, in the end, I think are, are much more meaningful, impactful ways of engaging. Speaking of Twitter, 
We want to discuss something you posted. Um, I was looking at your Twitter this morning and about 20 hours ago, you had said that a California teacher teacher who um, I guess a, a teacher in California was apparently fired for wearing one of your phenomenally black T-shirts. Um, and she was told that it was the same as wearing a MAGA hat. Um, what it's you, you put it out there on the Internet. You said, I want to help her fight this. Please DM me if you can help. Um I mean, this is insane because ble- being black and proud isn't a political stance. Um, what's going on with all this right now? Yeah, so I'm getting as much information as I can from her right now from what I, so I, that's a huge caveat, which is that we're still understanding exactly what happened and what her you know, um, uh, rights and claims might be. What I do know is that it is a public school. It is in Bakersfield, California, which does not necessarily have the best track record um, on issues like this. I believe ACLU has initiated a number of lawsuits um, around discrimination like this in Bakersfield. Um, so that's something to understand in terms of the climate. There are other, you know, issues around. Uh, you know, she was a part of the teachers' union, and you know, they are, are obligated to represent her and support her. Um, and, you know, from what I can tell, it's just that there, again, this is about systemic issues, right? That she followed sort of the proper rules and channels to seek guidance and help and was unable to find it and was told, you know, either it's too complicated or, you know, we'll get back to you in, in, in 90 days, right? And so she was really left to her own devices to do it on her own. Yeah, she's filed a, a complaint with the uh, California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, and I believe she filed the complaint like a year ago, and they just got back to her, um, and and then even said it'll take us ninety days to review this. The point I want to make is, you know, I back to sort of what I was taught growing up, right? That if I if something like this comes to me, I have a responsibility, a duty to help, and to figure out how to use any of my privileges and access that I may have. And I also want to note, though, that I understand that I'm in a place of, you know, privilege. I'm a lawyer, right? There are things that I can look at and sort of understand an issue spot and maybe help to expedite this in ways that, you know, she was not able to on her own. But the fact is there are so, I'm, I'm positive, there are so many other examples of, of teachers like her who have been, you know, treated this way. Um, and so I, I think it's the point that it, it, it is really incumbent upon all of us if something like this, um, you know, comes to you to think about how can I help? Right. It's, it's one person. It's one issue. We're not one issue. It's, it's a big issue, but it's one person um, who's experiencing this. And if I am able to help her think about, you know, what sort of uh, effect that can have on lots of other folks who've been treated the same way. I've um, in tweeting that received a ton of messages from other teachers, other folks who are educators, you know, telling me their stories, including that, you know, I think one of them had organized a Black Lives Matter um, like March and they had done a conference call and the teacher was reprimanded and then ultimately fired. But of course, the teacher wasn't fired for actually organizing around Black Lives Matter. They were instead fired for like being tardy, right? Um, there's there's a bunch of people commenting on the thread like, oh, did you really look into this? It's, you know, there may be something else going on. It's like, um, have you like ever heard of uh, retaliation, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Like just uh, and, and how this stuff usually plays out. Um, so anyway, I think that's another point too, about like keeping your eyes open and not, uh, you know, assuming that the person who has been victimized or oppressed, uh, by, you know, powerful people, um, is the one that is, is like uh, doing wrong, uh, or, or rather that even if she had done wrong and, and had minor infractions from being tardy, is that 
really what's motivating them to fire her and is that a valid basis to fire someone, right? I mean, this, I don't want to compare the two issues, but this is exactly what we're seeing with black men, you know, getting shot by the police, right? And this idea that they have to be, you know, these examples of good people, right? There's so, so much emphasis with, you know, Christian Cooper and, and Central Park, um, was it Central Park? Yeah, right, that he went to Harvard and he's good looking. And I mean, that stuff is lovely, but even if he wasn't, even if he yeah. had, you know, right. done something like right. you don't, that you don't deserve to get killed by the fucking police. Um, same thing, you know, Christian Cooper obviously was not, he was harassed by this woman. Um, but George Floyd, right. Uh, he supposedly was around a, a forgery claim at a convenience store. Even if he had, you know, done that, is that uh, a reason? Is, is that a death? Should I be a death sentence? So, um, I, I hope, and I think I'm making another point, which is we have to apply this thinking and this analysis to all of these issues, right? When we talk about this being systemic and uh, systemic oppression, and when people are talking about abolishing this, these systems, they apply to all of them, right? This operates in many of the same ways across these different systems. Um, some of them just have more drastic outcomes. And when we're talking about prisons and police, it's, you know, uh, it's death. It is depriving someone of freedom, but this happens in lots of other places as well. And it's, it's just as pernicious and something that we all need to pay attention to and apply, you know, with the term, like keep that energy, keep that same energy, right. Um, across, uh, all of these different uh, issues and, and keep your eyes open. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. back what you've done with phenomenal woman since you launched in um 2016 or 2017 international women's day is when you launched um you it was something that happened after the inauguration of donald trump can you talk to us a little bit about um just i have a feeling i you know it feels silly to be like what your inspiration was because i know we were all you know i know what i was feeling um, mm-hmm. after that day. Um, but will you talk to us a little bit about starting Phenomenal Woman? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, uh, I appreciate you saying that because I was just like a regular person trying to figure out what I could do. Right. Um, I woke up like a lot of people and looked around and thought, what the hell just happened? Oh my God, is this real? And that quickly shifted to, you know, we have to do something, right? I have to do something. What can I possibly do in this moment? And you saw, you know, especially early, early on, this administration was starting with um, all of the terrible things that were priorities for them, including the Muslim ban. I think that happened in 
February. So really soon, right after, or maybe it was January anyway, but folks were coming, they were protesting, they were launching fundraisers to benefit the ACLU and other organizations. And so likewise, I thought, you know, what can I do um, in this moment, there was such an intense focus on women, obviously. And uh, there was sort of headlines, if I remember the next day, like, are women going to step up, right? This was before the Women's March. Um, are women, are women going to really, uh, you know, respond? And it was just sort of like, I mean, annoying, but like, yeah, we fucking are. And sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast. I think you oh, said yeah. that you have oh, children. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can. <laughs> um, but, you know, that I sort of was like, yeah, women are fucking phenomenal. And, you know, we woke up the next morning ready to fight. And uh, so that was my little contribution, right? The poem by Maya Angelou has always been a huge source of inspiration for me. When I talk about sort of like, you know, making a contribution from your own unique place, I already had another t-shirt, a uh, little known fact. It was, it was focused on women entrepreneurs, but my point is that I was able to like spin up a t-shirt pretty fast, right? And I thought, okay, what if I printed those on, a, on shirts? Um, and I, I sent them with a bunch of friends to, um, to DC, to the Women's March, and they got a ton of compliments. And then I thought, well, what if we make our own little fundraiser, right? And again, we saw tons of people doing this. They were doing, you know, fundraisers amongst their friends, right? And um, in their neighborhood, right? Bringing people together to raise money for folks like Planned Parenthood and ACLU. And so for me, I thought, let's, you know, for one month, let's sell the shirt and raise money for women's organizations. We'll launch it on International Women's Day and it will run for the month of March, which is Women's History Month. And on the first day, like I, I was completely shocked that we sold, I think over 2,500 shirts. I thought we would sell like a, maybe a couple hundred if I like harassed enough of my friends and family. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I could have like gone back to my, my regular life. Right. I think I could have said, wow, we far exceeded our goal. Right. Like we, we did a big thing. Awesome. Now let me go back to my regular life. And instead I thought, holy shit, like, how do we keep this going? How do I reach more women? How do I, you know, raise more money? Right. And so there's also the message, once again, about showing up consistently and deepening engagement and sticking with it and keep going. And that's what I intended to do. And in many ways, I, I looked at it not only as sort of an organizer, somebody that had done that um, in the Obama 08 campaign. Um, so having background in that, but also as an entrepreneur, right? Seeing that people were responding positively to this and thinking about how can I grow it? How can I be creative with it? How can I get from month one to month three um, to month six? And along the way, I had no idea like I, where I was going to go. I had a full-time job, right? Um, my mom, first of all, my mom famously was like what, when I first had the idea. And she knew about my other t-shirt I mentioned. And I have, you know, this like family text thread. I wish I had screenshotted this. I like delete <laughs> all my texts and that there's no way I could probably recover this now. But first of all, my dad was like, hmm, I don't know. Like it sounds kind of like self-referential. So by the way, on a, on a, my biggest piece of advice for entrepreneurs is like, no, like seek advice from everybody, take it all in, but also over time, figure out like who, who maybe not to listen to advice from on certain issues. So my dad is brilliant and I know what to go to him for. I go to him for everything. It's good to said, seek all feedback, but like design and, and like brand and like messaging <laughs> is like not one of them. It's so he was sort of like. Yeah, not quite. He's like a, you know, a nerdy lawyer. He's like, you know, so, but it was just so funny where he's like, mm, I don't know. I'm not sure if I like this one. 
And then my mom was like, you know, I love it, but Mina, are you really able to take on another shirt? You're already so overloaded. Like, do you really want to take this on, Mina? Like, trying to, you know, look out for me because I have a habit of like doing too much. <laughs> and anyway, um, how did I get on this tangent? I, I decided to like do it anyway. And, uh, you know, who could have imagined that it would turn into to something that I'm still doing three years later. And the point is that, you know, I, I didn't set out to like build a movement. All I did was make a t-shirt and I had no idea where it was going to go. Um, I had no idea, you know, the impact we were going to make, but, um, you know, one month, one month became three months, became six months. Um, at a certain point, you know, I, I did have to think about like, okay, am I going to like really do this for the long haul? But I, if I'm remembering the kind of like sequence of events, I, that moment did not come for me until like the end of that year. And in fact, oh my God, sorry. And I'm like walking back through everything. I had at the end of that year told myself, all right, you're going to, cause I had left my job after a while because it was just consuming everything. And this is and when I had you told were my, in, um, social justice law or you, were you still working as a lawyer at this point? No, I was not. I was doing policy work. So oh, policy I had work. left, okay. yeah, I had left my, um, corporate law practice to go back into tech. So sort of like lawyer ish, but I was not legal counsel there. I was going to say that's um, very busy <laughs> being a lawyer yeah. and running and an entrepreneur. Totally. I mean, it was still super busy. I was at a startup. I mean, it was very fast paced and that was part of the issue, right? Like I just couldn't, I, it was growing and growing. And I couldn't keep up. And However, uh, I sort of told myself like, this has been great. You know, you did this for nine months, but you know, at the end of the year, maybe you will consider like going back into tech. Right. I wasn't totally sure, but I was sort of like in my head thinking like, how long do you want to keep this going? And, um, the job opportunity ended up coming up around the end of the year and I couldn't get away from it. <laughs> so like, it just kept it growing, growing. I mean, and I'm not trying to act like it was like magic, right. It's part of it. It's like, I couldn't, step away from it. Um, but anyway, that, that moment really didn't come for me until that point. Um, the next year when I said to myself, like, all right, what is this? Are you going to keep this going? So that, that entire first nine months, uh, I, I thought of it as like, all right, how do we do it for another month? Right? Like, how do we like keep this going? And, uh, you know, now obviously it's a full fledged, you know, business and brand and I'm, I'm doing it, um, the real way. But it just goes to show that, you know, if you stick with something and you, you, and you're deeply passionate about it, and that's what's driving you to show up for it every day, like you have no idea where that will take you. you I could have never known. It's so interesting, this, this theme of persevering and being told no, and then is also in your book you wrote. So yeah, exactly. while it's a story of them, you also can pull from it for your own life story, too. Um, I know I'm so corny. I'm like, I had a big idea and <laughs> I just went for it. Uh, but it is, it's true, yeah. right? It's the same thing. Like even with the book, I, I never set out to be a, a kid's book author ever. Like I never thought I would be doing that. Um, but it's like, all right, I have an idea. Like, let's see if it sticks. Like, let me try to go do it and see what happens, you know? And you have so, a lot of yeah. shirts. There's Phenomenal Mother that I think you mentioned earlier. There's Phenomenally Asian, yeah. Phenomenally Latina, uh, plow Powerful Black Voter, Phenomenally Human, um, which we, um, which I think works with Elsa mm -hmm. Collins, who we mentioned earlier with This Is About Humanity. And, um, and, and what's so wonderful is that this has kind of been an ongoing, I say this way too much on this podcast. I'm sorry for our listeners if this is annoying, but an ongoing theme that pops up and usually questions we get from either our younger listeners or our listeners also in their 30s is asking or saying like, what do I do with my life? I don't know what I'm doing. Or I've been 
working in this job and now I want to change my life, but I probably shouldn't. And so I love that you've had so many different beautiful careers in your life that you didn't anticipate. You know, you didn't anticipate having being an entrepreneur and you didn't anticipate writing a children's book. Um, do you have any perspective or advice for those listeners who ask those questions of themselves? Absolutely. The first is there's no question that this has always been sort of within me and my, my I think number one passion and skill to do what I'm doing right now. However, it took me literally 35 years to figure that out and not I, I, maybe figuring it out is the wrong word. I, I knew it, but took me 35 years to like make the leap and to understand that I was in that moment where it was like, I had to run to this thing and I just knew it, you know, and, and part of it is there was a ton of, you know, different circumstances that came together that are, are really real, that are financial security, right? My feeling that I had kind of accomplished enough in my career where I felt um, okay to take a quote unquote risk to go do something that was non-traditional, uh, which is also to say, to answer your question, that that was a, it's a privilege, right? For me to have been able to just leave my job when I wanted to, to go do this. And that has not always been the case for me. So as much as I've always been, you know, sort of a creative person and entrepreneurial person, I very much, I mean, up until I just left Uber like a week ago, okay? My second like tech job that I took after starting the campaign, um, which is that I've done a lot of the nights and weekends entrepreneur life, right? And part of that was because I was still working towards setting that foundation for myself that I thought was essential, you know, to help me um, sort of have that launching pad for the future. And what that meant was, and I, I guess what I want to say too is like, I'm not necessarily advocating doing it like I did or taking 35 years, but I first want to recognize that it's a privilege to be able to do it full time, right? And that's just not the reality for a lot of people. You're going to have to keep up with your nine to five job and you got to do that job well. If you want to keep that job, right? People need to focus on what's in front of them. Um, but, and for me, what I say about not necessarily recommending it and it taking 35 years is that there are times I look back and feel like, God, did I stay on that treadmill for like too long, right? Like what if I had started doing this five years earlier? And I think I very much accept, and I, I actually don't think that I would change the journey, but there were lots of really challenging, unhappy moments for me, um, including like fucking law school. Like that was not enjoyable. Um, I kind of, I'm being a little bit, I'm joking. I mean, I would, I, that was incredible formative education for me. And I think that it has helped me enormously um, in my life, including being an entrepreneur and running phenomenal. But it's to say that I was on that treadmill and checking off these sort of, you know, what I considered like prestige boxes for a long time, um, including, you know, going to a corporate law firm when I knew that I didn't want to be a law firm partner, that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. But I decided this was essential foundational education and an experience that would help me in the end. And so I have to keep that in perspective, right? So I think that's part of it is keeping that stuff in perspective, building that foundation so that you can have that freedom. You can take those risks, um, whether it's, you know, a, a job or saving money, uh, but keep up the passion whenever you can. Right. I mentioned that I had a t-shirt before phenomenal woman. I was like a full on lawyer at a corporate law firm with a t-shirt that said, I'm an entrepreneur bitch, <laughs> which is like not, <laughs> what you might expect from somebody who <laughs> works amazing. at like this very buttoned up, like white shoe law firm. And I have so many thoughts on this, including like how my boss found out about it and how that went. And there's so much there, but you know, like it was something that made me really happy. It was about, you know, 
lifting up female entrepreneurs. There's a whole another backstory that I don't need to ramble about. But the point is like, I was doing it on nights and weekends and who could, and I think I launched it in, I want to say 2011 or 2012. And then, you know, Phenomenal Woman was, was five years later. Right. But I had sort of the, I was continuing to keep up, you know, the creative stuff on the side. So, you know, keep that stuff up and, and build that foundation as you go. And I think for me, I, I knew when I had reached that moment, like it was just so clear to me, the moment in time in terms of what was happening in the country, the moment for me with my career, the financial stability. And I had that thought of like, I have to run to this thing right now. Like this is it. Right. And that sounds so corny. Uh, but that was my experience. And I think that you have to have that sort of internal, like, all right, I, I, and part of it was like the courage, right? Like I was finally willing to like make that leap and it, I was not willing to before. Um, I also tell people like not every good or interesting idea is worth quitting your job for, right? Like <laughs> the, the entrepreneur t-shirt actually took off in its own way and had, you know, like some celebrities were super into it, but looking back, like that was not worth quitting my, my law firm job for. I'm positive of that. But nevertheless, keeping it up on the side was essential to, you know, helping me to get to where I am right now. For our listeners who want to buy a phenomenally black shirt and wear it and all of any, really any of your shirts, they can go to phenomenalwoman.us. And um, where can they find you, Mina, on all your socials? Yeah. So I'm like, I have kind of different voices just depending on the channel. So I'm like, if you want spicy political uh, commentary that with a lot of cussing, um, you can find me on Twitter at <laughs> Harris and, uh, you know, Instagram, it's a little more kid, kid friendly and, you know, joyful, um, at Mina, what else? Um, if you want to know anything about the book, we have, um, a pre, uh, I guess we're not in priority anymore, but we have a campaign with a bunch of local indie bookstores, uh, to help them in a great time of need to stay in business. So that is phenomenalgirl.com to learn all about Kamala and Maya's big idea and to find links to purchase from indies and other booksellers. And I think that's all of my, yeah, my channels. That's incredible. I just want to ask like one, I mean, it's kind of like a throwaway question. It's not really a big deal, but so is your aunt Kamala going to be Joe Biden's running mate? Again, like, no, it's just kind of a throwaway question. I don't know. Sorry, who? (laughs) (laughs) We could Kamala? not. Kamala, I do that. Uh, I'm very proud of my aunt and my family, and uh, you know, they're she's she's doing really important work right now as a U.S. senator, and uh, it's extraordinary to to watch her and to support her and. I know that she will continue. I'm giving you like the most. No, I know. I love it. Non-anti-anti. I love it. I love it. <laughs> You're doing so well. Well, it's extraordinary to watch you and to be able to sit here and have this incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've had a very thank busy you. two weeks. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Well, this is super fun. I have to remind myself, you know, we're all adjusting to all the virtual stuff, but in my most exhausted moments when like, I don't want to see anybody or talk to anyone because I just want to like be horizontal and like lay down for two months. Um, these moments of having conversations with awesome, extraordinary people like you are like, they really fill me up. And I just, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be able to maintain that connection and, and to be able to um, talk to good folks. And so I always remind myself like that felt really good. You know, like that's the stuff that you should remind yourself of as we're all still like navigating all of this wild, wild, newfangled world. 
such a great reminder. That means so much coming from you. Thanks. Thank you. And thanks again for all of your support of Phenomenal and Elsa and all the stuff you guys are doing. Oh my gosh, of course. I just feel so reinvigorated after talking to her. She's so inspiring. And I know she said the same about speaking with us. And I know that's why we do this podcast in the first place. There's so much I learned from her. Candace, what stands out to you? Just that she grew up having a dialogue about activism from a very young age. And I, I, you know, in adulthood, I'm realizing how I'm kind of just catching up to, you know, being involved with the community and what it means to be an activist. I also just loved how she, you know, didn't really have a definition for what an activist was and just, you know, related to it from her own personal experiences, I thought was really powerful. I love how she admitted that it took 35 years for her to finally take that risk. And her advice to all of us was like, you know, do it when you can. Like she encourages us to do it sooner than that. But if you aren't up for it, do it when you can. And that's enough. And taking that risk is enough. And she acknowledges how privileged she is and how she can use that privilege for others. And I, um, I'm just so inspired by her. I just am. I I knew we were going to love this conversation, but man, is she um, pretty phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I, I know to what you're saying. I mean, we've got, you know, I know I say this on this podcast, we've got teenagers in the house and that is something that comes up for our oldest a lot. You know, she's going to be a senior in high school. She's talking about college and, you know, and trying to figure out what the rest of her life is going to look like. And I constantly am telling her like, hey, I'm in my 30s and I'm still figuring it out. And it takes a while. I thought I had it figured out, just like how we start this podcast every week. (laughs) And it's okay to admit you don't. And and so it was so wonderful that um, Mina was able to share in her experiences where, um, you know, where even though she had it figured out, she still left room for, for growth and room for creativity and room for her passions and, and how so many of those revolved around helping her community. And I think that's something that we are, you know, witnessing right now is just the importance of, you know, getting out there and being a part of your community, paying attention to what's going on in your community. Right. And Candace, you and I have this conversation with each other privately as well, how we want to raise our daughters a certain way and have these conversations with them. And um, I'm so excited for Mina's book to arrive because I can start that conversation with uh, Poppy and continue to have an open dialogue about it. And I'm so grateful that Mina's created that opportunity for me. And I wouldn't have known those statistics. I wouldn't have known to research those statistics before this week, which is, you know, feels very embarrassing and shameful to admit, but I feel like it's important to admit and acknowledge that. Um, you know, I, I saw myself in books, you know, and so I think it's really, it, this was just such an important dialogue to have. And I'm so appreciative that Mina was willing to share um, in her experiences with us and our listeners, because it definitely makes me view, um, you know, going to the library completely different, going to the bookstore completely different, where I shop for books completely different. And most importantly, you know, the difference of like joining the PTA to help like bake sales and like participating in the PTA to actually make sure um, that your kids can go into their school library and see themselves in the books that live there. 
Right. It's truly, uh, it's going to say inspiring again. I'm just so inspired. I, can you tell? I'm so annoying, <laughs> like a broken record over here. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And we'll see you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.